There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation, and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today I'm in the studio once again with my old mate, Ben Schiller, amazing therapist, studying his master's in clinical psychology at the moment. Hi, Ben. (laughs) Hey, Danny. It's good to have you back. Good to be here. Yeah. I'm getting you back today because a week ago, two weeks ago, you came and did a presentation with my my graduates group and my current challenge group. We talked about anxiety and social anxiety, which often is the big trigger for drinking. So you came and did this presentation. We talked all about it. And so I thought, let's do it on the podcast as well. Because why should everyone else miss out on all that goodness? I agree. One thing that really stuck out for me in that session was how many of us actually do suffer social anxiety. And from what you presented, I actually was like, oh, I can identify with that. Oh my God, I probably had social anxiety. And I didn't know because a lot of these things would lead me to drink, I guess, this feeling of nervousness around people. And could you give us an example of some of the ways in which social anxiety presents itself? Yeah, sure. Look, i I think it's common because a lot of us experienced, I guess, some awkward or shitty situations in school Um, Mm. and, you know, whether whether it was being judged by a peer group or being Mm -hmm. rejected by a peer group or a girlfriend or a boyfriend and, Mm -hmm. you know, being ridiculed in some way at some point, being teased. I know in Australia particularly... Certain high schools can be quite brutal with with their levels of teasing, and and I think as a result of that, people then start to I guess move out into the world, away from school, and into their careers or, or whatever it is that they're doing, having families and and whatnot. I guess there's an expectation that's been set up from that period that you're going to be judged, you, you're going to be ridiculed if you make a mistake. Essentially. A social situation is is almost dangerous for us, or, or, or something to be wary of. Mm. And I think because that, of the fear of ridicule or the fear of yeah judgment, judgment. and mm. and one of the foundations of social anxiety is is like there's there's various components that make up social anxiety, and one, and one of them is a fear of judgment of mm. from others and a need to perform. Thirdly, to have really high expectations of yourself socially. So you, you spoke about the nervousness before and um, 
it's not surprising for, for a lot of us. We coming to a party or coming to a, a gallery opening or, or whatever it might be. Work, uh, work, work going, yeah. going to presenting at work, whatever the situation, even walking up to the team at soccer or, or netball or whatever that, that's already assembled and, and you arrive a couple of minutes late. There's a, a slight pang of nervousness there. And, mm. and no wonder that it's there is that I think a lot of us have experienced and not necessarily just been on the receiving end. I'm sure some people that were, that, that managed to impart some ridicule and teasing of others are afraid of getting that back, back at them. So, mm. so yeah, there's no, no wonder why that nervousness is there. And, and I think it's never really explained to us and that just sort of, perpetuates or it starts to build and exacerbate and get worse over time and with age where you know like we start to look for signs of judgment we start to be a bit blinkered in our view of social situation it's common a lot of people have it and a lot of people that drink excessively have it yeah i'm finding it more and more and more the more yeah the more it kind of comes up and you see it that there's this anxiousness there they don't want the anxiousness so they're going to drink or they know that if they drink, then the anxiousness will go. The self-consciousness will go. This was for me. Um, drink and drink and drink. And then the problem is that you kind of keep on chasing that feeling. And then before you know it, you're on the fucking table and you're dancing and you, your boobs are out. You're, you're flashing your fanny to who knows <laughs> God knows who. <laughs> Yeah, and yep. then you wake up the next morning, and it's triggered all that anxiety even more again because you're like, "Oh my fucking god, what the hell did I do? How the hell did that happen?" Yeah. There was nervousness there, but it's interesting where you say that it's funny we're experiencing it now, but it often comes back to something that happened in the past, and we carry that because we haven't let it move through us, we haven't dealt with it probably when it happened at the time. It's given an impression I guess we carry it with us into our present and we haven't left it there where it where it happened yeah, yeah. that's a really good way to put it that like it leaves an impression on us I, mm. you know it, some of those negative experiences that, that most of us have had lead to us developing beliefs about ourselves or they uh, make worse or exacerbate negative beliefs we already had about ourselves so mm. say for example at school I make a mistake in class and I'm teased for that you know I answer a question incorrectly um, some of the other kids tease me for that then my already the, the negative belief I might already have is I'm not smart enough uh, mm. is going to get stronger and stronger and this is this is in the in the mind of an adolescent and we kind of move away from school and we move on with our lives and and sometimes those beliefs aren't prevalent you know they yeah. don't come up again um like i'm not smart enough but the memory is really strong around the negative emotions you feel when you when you're teased or when you've sort of not performed as you think you should have you know and that's that's part of the the, the sort of maladaptive way the mind works in that it it locks onto old memories and um uh, and, we, and we go around and around them in our minds and we kind of almost make them 10 times worse than what they originally were. But um, it's a function of the mind. It tries to solve problems. and But it also, unfortunately, with negative emotional experiences that involve a bit of shame, um, quite often we, we go over and over and over them. Why does the mind seem to imprint so much on the negative and very rarely on the positive? For me, I think... We have emotional memories that we have, as in memories in which we feel really strong emotions, mm -hmm. both positive and negative, are the ones that come back to us most easily. Mm -hmm. So, so say for example, you, uh, you know, you might have had something happen. Say for example, you played a gig and you had some pride as a result of that gig in your teenage years. Um, there are a bunch of friends there, and they really loved it and. Um, they would have been happy, joy and pride, you yep. know, like there's a good memory. Yep. The strength of the emotion associated with that memory is probably not as strong as the strength of the emotion associated with the memory of being ridiculed. You know, yeah. like when, when, when we're teased and we feel shame and we feel like we're, we're less than. And so I, I think that's, you know, like quite often with memories, like emotional memories, they're, they're known as, that's why the mind sort of locks in. It's kind of like mm. the emotion around this is so strong that I just keep going back to it. 
So. And it, and it, I guess it shows up because it's a core belief. It keeps showing up and it's a bit of the mind saying, I told you so. Yeah, I told yeah, you you're not totally. enough. It's the affirmation of, of our core beliefs yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of what comes up is that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not important enough. And so that can be exacerbated once we get into the schoolyard, if that happened kind of in childhood, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And, mm. you know, like I think depending on your your age, there's a certain generation of parents, and I'm treading carefully here, um, there's a certain generation of parents that were hard workers, you know, like and, and children were kind of... Seen you know, and not heard. Yeah, seen and not heard at the risk of repeating myself. And, mm. you know, like, and don't get me wrong, that, that, that generation worked bloody hard to, to sort of provide a, a life um, for a lot of us. Mm. But the, the, with that kind of you've, you're seen and not heard come, comes kind of a sense of rejection. And maybe not even reject, maybe not outright rejection, but it's certainly this sense of not okay as I am. I've got to do something to get my parents' attention. And, you know, that starts at a young age and then we go to school um, and then we've got to kind of perform at school or act in Mm. a certain way so our peer group approves of us. And, Mm. um, you know, and we've got all the tenets there of social anxiety. And don't get me wrong, not not everyone has it. There's sort of key components that people might have around fear of being judged, but they might not have the the issues like because there's a physiological component um so that's that nervousness in your tummy that you were referring to before some people go numb in social situations others mm. go um quite hyperactive or their heart rate goes way up and and they kind of go into a hyper arousal that's what i would be and my face would go bright red yeah and yeah. i'm like oh, fuck my face is going bright red i can feel it and then i start worrying about that yeah, yeah. Well, that's and then and then what did you do? You know, there's a behavioral component too, and mm. usually it's some form of avoidance. And for mm. most of the people on this listening to the podcast, I'm going to hazard a guess that that form of avoidance was drinking alcohol. Yeah, you know? right. On. Like, I think it, what's key to point out is, and I said this in the presentation that I did to your groups, there's three levels of cognition, like three levels of thoughts that ultimately define you know social anxiety or drive for social anxiety and the first one is is I, I need to perform really high expectations of yourself socially the second one is how does that look give me an example of the thoughts that would be going on for someone that okay they need to perform. Sorry, um, so say for example I'm going to meet an, another group of psychologists um, we're, we're there to talk about a trauma Mm-hmm. presentation for mm-hmm. example and the thoughts I might have if with my social anxiety are I've got to make sure I come across as intelligent I've got to make sure I come across as if I know what I'm talking about I've also got to be a bit humorous with it you know like so um the, yeah heaps of pressure you know and that's just one level of, of the thought so that we're, we're kind of like this almost perfectionistic and, and high expectation of ourselves that we have in, in social situations. Is, is that something that shows up for you, like real, actually? Less so these days. Uh, now that I know more about social anxiety, right. I, a few years ago though, for sure, I, w- I would have been putting pressure on myself to, come a, to, to meet certain arbitrary standards mm. that really weren't necessary in, in a social situation. And that's, you know, only a couple of years ago. So, right. So and yeah, can I ask sure. a personal question? What core belief would that stem from for you? Uh, just for me, it's uh, I'm not enough as I am. Yes, it's you know, so I've common. Got to, I've got to prove myself. I've got, to, I've got to prove my worth. I'm not enough. It just seems to come up all the time and we get to the core belief. Yeah. 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 And having the awareness yeah, yeah, and it's it's part of the journey too, I think. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just make sure I get all three areas of mm. the thoughts. Sorry, um, yeah. So the first one is the high high expectations of yourself in a social situation. The could, second one. Sorry, cut you off again. Fire away. I do this to you in the presentations as well, but it could <laughs> be like, yeah, I've, I'd be funny enough or I've got to be, you know, I've got to be engaging enough. Or, yeah, 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 I've got to be smart. Um, yeah, I've got to not yeah. talk about myself too much. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or okay. I've got to, got to be the centre of attention, you know. Some people yeah. think they've got to big themselves up in social situations and um, and other, those wankers. Others, <laughs> <laughs> others uh, you know, think that they, they, that they shouldn't speak. They shouldn't 
you know, rock the boat. They shouldn't bring attention to themselves. You know, that's that in its own right. That's that's a form of expectation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like everyone's got their own little nuances in terms of what they are. Those those sort of expectations. But the second level yep. is what you were referring to before, where we have beliefs that are conditional. Like mm-hmm. if if someone sees me blushing. Mm. Because I'm hyper aroused, or because I'm wound up, I'm anxious, um, they're going to judge me. Mm-hmm. You know, like really conditional beliefs about yeah. social situations. Others, others have. Um, if I'm not funny in this, and I don't make some jokes, people are going to think I'm boring. Yeah. You know, like yeah. so. That's that second level, like really kind of harsh conditional beliefs about ourselves in social situations. Oh, it kills you, doesn't it? Mm. And then the third level is what you've been referring to, the deeper beliefs about Mm. ourselves Mm -hmm. that are unconditional. I'm not enough as I am. Mm. You know, like is is probably the most common one, but... um, but yeah, just the, they're the core beliefs that we have about ourselves that we need to cover off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not enough as I am. And um, <sighs> look, and the reason why I'm kind of, the reason why I'm wanting to make sure that's communicated is it's it's complex. Yeah. You know, like what's yeah. going on for us in a in a social situation if if you've got the tenets of social anxiety it's pretty complex and mm. but the nice thing is like if you just kind of pull those three levels out and go oh this is what i do in those situations sorry this is what i think in those situations mm-hmm. you're able to start to turn it around pretty quickly just by having the awareness of it awareness is everything it's mm. like it's so important it changes everything once mm. we have the awareness it's it's interesting because i'd always thought that social anxiety was someone that i guess would go into a full-blown blown panic attack and i'm sure that is an element of it but yeah sometimes it can just be the the knot in the stomach or the sweating palms or the blushing face and yeah yeah to go yeah, okay. and I, well, I think it, the extension of it is a panic attack because mm-hmm. with those types of thoughts, we, we've got um, the connection from those thoughts down to our body, which results in some form of discomfort, whether it's a mm-hmm. churning in your stomach, mm-hmm. um, a tightening, um, whether whether it's a tingling in your extremities, like your hands and your feet. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, I presented to a bunch of GPs recently on trauma and my legs were shaking, you know, like like chronically and mm-hmm. uh, for the first couple of minutes and you know like so so the body presentation or the, or the physiological sort of connection to the thoughts are you know and it can be any sort of manner of things that can pop up and um and then then the, the, the final component is a, a behavior of some kind results you know and and for some people as i said they they go up in and try and control everything by just becoming really boisterous and really mm-hmm. arrogant you might say or maybe not even arrogant but just they go up into a, a louder state as a means mm-hmm. of trying to manage these feelings of discomfort and these negative thoughts um, other people drink other mm-hmm. people don't go to the social thing you know like some people are crippled by it. i've got yeah. friends that are so they've got so much social anxiety that they'll have to go and sit in the car for a while, which I think is actually quite good. Like if you need to remove yourself, remove yourself until you can get yourself together. If you've got some tools to pull out of your toolbox, perhaps when you're in the car. But even one of the people on in our group, she's quite high level what she does. And she was presenting to a group of people as well, similar to you. And she actually collapsed. And, yeah, wow. you know, and she's, yep. yeah, she... Like I say, very high level, very, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, probably really hardworking, really bright. Um, yeah. And and I say, yeah, wow, because it's, you know, that's that's what can happen, you know. Like right. that's, and that's the body and the mind kind of just taking over and yeah. going into a state of panic and, um, yeah. And, and is it, would you say, sorry, cut you off again, but um, say you're having the feeling, like say you said your legs were shaking and then if you start panicking, panicking about the fact that your legs are shaking yeah that's and that's anxiety in a nutshell you know like registering something going on in your body having what 
having a thought that a bit catastrophizing, you know, like right. it's a bit like, oh my god, I'm 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 going to make a mess of this. Um, um, or, or maybe catastrophizing is a little bit harsh, but it's it's it, our mind goes into a worst case scenario situation, and and that's how like panic disorder ends up developing. I think for a lot of people, drink as a, to help with their anxiety. The drinking's effective, but only initially. What I've found with myself, like I, I remember being a in Brisbane, actually, like I studied engineering up there um, a long time ago, and I ended up in Brisbane for a couple, a few years. And there was an abhorrent nightclub called Cafe Neon, uh, which was very <laughs> ap- aptly titled. <laughs> and and look, on a, and I remember hating this nightclub, but but we all like all, all of the guys I went to school with, and and the, and neighbouring schools as well that we'd played football against that weekend. We'd we'd all descend upon this shit house nightclub, <laughs> and and I specifically remember like walking up and into it, and and it being black, like just jet black inside, and then these neon lights um, around near the bar, and and I could you could make out people's silhouette, and like my anxiety was just through the roof and mm. um and what i you know like I, and i just remember going all right the best thing for me to do here is go straight to the bar and drink as much as i possibly can mm. and not pretty not long you know like into that first year of being at uni and going to that venue i started drinking from home so by the time i arrived at the nightclub i'd you know, like, right. yeah, yeah, my anxiety wouldn't wouldn't exist, and that's a classic example of how our behaviours just, uh, I, I guess, accommodate the anxiety or, or try to ward it off. But the problem that happens mm. there is that behaviour, unfortunately, because it reduces the anxiety, we become reliant on it. So the yeah. booze, I'm just like, okay, the booze is good for me. You know, yeah. the booze helps me, reduces my anxiety, and it reinforces the negative behavior because we've got anxiety being reduced with it and um, and it makes it harder and harder to break it because Mm. it's been reinforced over years and years and years of using alcohol to, to help in these types of situations and and eventually, like I ended up drinking at home on my own, so I, had, I didn't have any reason to be socially anxious. But um, by that stage, the the actual behaviour was so far gone in me. Um, I, you know, I, I, it took took a pretty huge intervention to stop it. So um, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. A few alarm, like a few bing bings, just went off in my head too because. Where I grew up, and it was a small country town, and it's sort of like really judgmental, and it was fucking a horrible place to grow up, really. And we'd go to a nightclub called the Pit, <laughs> <laughs> fucking rank, and we'd all go there after the pub shut, and everyone would go, "Yeah, not the Pit," and you go to the Pit, and feeling nervous about that too, because it was kind of seedy by the end of the night, and everyone's a bit meh. And it's same thing, like just feeling anxious and nervous still, even after having a few drinks. And so just drinking more and more and more, and then there, you know, there'd be fights or I'd, you know, you you just act in shit ways and embarrassing, so embarrassing. Mm. But kind of because that that part of your brain is turned off, you know, and then you wake up in the morning and you just hate yourself or oh god, oh my god, what are they going to say? And uh, yeah, well, and, and it's funny because you what you just described there is the worries that your your mm. mind has had leading into the going to the nightclub come true because yeah. you feel yourself full of booze you're totally disinhibited and and carry on like a bit of an ass and you um you, you know like, an, like an and ass. yeah sure it, we 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 end up acting in ways that that probably warrant a bit of judgment <laughs> so. yeah yeah like someone yeah you're a slut danny car <laughs> i'm like what and then you flash back to the night before and oh, yeah maybe i was <laughs> dancing a little you know or however you know or sleazing on someone's boyfriend or whatever but yeah and that's a way in which you actually don't want to behave but you kind of just have because you I don't know you let the inhibitions go and yeah so it just keeps up and then the next week comes around and you're all going out and you start drinking earlier like you said before you even get there and you get to the pub and then you're at the pit again and you're fucking wasted and people are calling you a slut again it's just it's such and a it, cycle. And it's a cycle and, and, mm. and it's interesting because, you know, I talked about school before being being a bit of a kind of a starting point for, for a lot of it. But, you know, like in our efforts to try and avoid social situations and 
for for a majority of the listeners, I'm going to assume it's drinking, but some people will start to isolate too. They'll stop Mm. going into social situations that are a bit challenging. And now, now again, like drinking in the short term by isolating, you're you're lowering your anxiety, but what you're actually doing there in the longer term is reducing your social skills. You know, yeah. like you're starting to affirm that negative belief that you're no good in a social situation. You can't, you know, you're not interesting or you're boring or whatever it might mm. be. You're not funny enough. And, you know, when we isolate for extended periods of time, we we start to drop off in terms of our social sort of sharpness and Mm. um yeah like it's um, we're we're social beings and Mm. um so again like like the drinking isolating you know it starts to affirm those negative beliefs we had we had there at the start that are driving the anxiety yeah it really does doesn't it and Yeah. yeah i wish someone had have said to me early on before I'd, you know, at that age when I was going down to the pit and going to the Criterion in Castlemaine, I wish someone had have said to me about, because I had anxiety really bad as a as a teenager and I just drank my way through it probably to get out of it. I kind of got myself through it, but then socially um, and because it was such a judgy place, I would drink to, I just drank my way through my teens. But I wish someone had have been able to address that with me or say, actually it's okay you know you're having social anxiety you mm. you know perhaps they are judging you or whatever but it's okay to just be yourself and it's okay to not drink your way through it and just be with the feelings I don't know if I would have had the capacity of, to do that as a teenager but fuck I wish I had of yeah I, I, I wonder too like I, I don't know even with a, a well-intentioned parent mm. that had the insight to say that to their child i still don't know given the intensity of a peer group yeah whether the child would would be able to then walk into an environment like the pit and and just be like yeah fuck it (laughs) i don't really care what anyone thinks of me i'm just gonna have a good time and you probably wouldn't go to the pit yeah well possibly possibly but uh but it's it's yeah look look, i think i think it's a tricky one Mm. because i don't I think unless everyone is on, you know, coming from a similar standpoint or we're all going to have our little nervousness about acceptance, we're all going to be wanting to make sure we fit in. And yeah. um, and I think not minding what people think just comes with age and time. It does, doesn't it? I was just thinking that because yeah. when we're older, so I'm interested because you said you're working with, with younger people for a while and... I wonder how that stuff will land with younger. I feel like when we're older and we're getting more self-reflective, we're more open to looking at that stuff and and learning to sit with our feelings. But as a teenager, like I know with my own kids, like say with Sunny, she has social anxiety and I try and talk to her about the stuff and feeling that she's, it's just not landing with her. Yeah, it's probably just beyond her capacity, perhaps at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I think quite probably. um, I think there's varying ages in which we develop levels of insight, and Mm. and it depends on on the person really, um, Mm -hmm. and the relationship with the parent too. Like sometimes the kids don't want to hear it from the parent, but I've I've just been working with a a 14 year old boy and on social his social anxiety and. Um, and he was fantastic. He was able to hear everything that I was that I communicated with him, and he took it on board. But I, I did ask him, you know, if one of your parents had have said this to you, would would you have listened mm. to it? Mm-hmm. And he said, probably not. So see, that's uh, where it's great to bring in yeah. a, a professional sometimes yeah. if you're recognising that perhaps yeah. in your kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. So talk, So also I just wanted to say that said person we were talking about before who was presenting for her work, who had who collapsed, you know, she said that she was having another thing coming up where she had to present again and she nailed it. Excellent. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder if perhaps that was because of the tools that we spoke about, you know, becoming aware and yeah. yeah possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think... I'm glad you said that actually because I don't find the treatment for anxiety overly complex. Mm. Like um, I think once you understand your own 
specifically what thoughts you have in those three levels of cognitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you understand the body sensations you have, and once you get a, a real, real grip, a proper grip on, on what behaviors you go into, not, and not just, oh, I get pissed. Like there's all sorts of different little, little nuanced behaviors that we do to try and manage our anxiety. That's a lot of the work. Like it's, um, you know, like to try and move out of that, we, we come up with alternative thoughts. Absolutely. To come out of that, we, we, we don't try and get rid of the feelings in our bodies. We just become a bit more tolerant of them, you know, and, and, and there's mindfulness activities and breath work that helps us do that. But they're still there. They still exist. And, and then finally, like in terms of our behaviors, we, we just try and we don't jump off jump into the deep end straight away but we just choose the simplest behavior the least kind of exposing behavior um, mm-hmm. initially um, to go and test out our new skills and our new understanding of social anxiety so mm. um, it is called exposure therapy because you kind of you create a hierarchy of the most scary situations down to the least scary and, mm-hmm. and you start at the bottom like mm. what's the least scary situation or go into the shops and mm. I'm going to go and do that with a busy shopping centre. You know, and, like. and take your tools with you, yeah, your deep yeah. breathing or your yeah. awareness. Yeah. So, okay, so again, can you just, because I did jump in a few times, can you just, again, say those three levels of awareness yeah, cool. without That's me talking? All good. So the three levels of cognitions that we have at the top, the first is we have really high perfectionistic expectations of ourselves in a social situation. The second one we have thoughts and beliefs that are, if someone notices me being nervous, I'm going to get judged or ridiculed. It's their thoughts around the expectation that you're going to be judged based on a physical kind of presentation or based on your behavior. Mm. So, uh, and, you, and you mentioned before, like blushing. And mm. um, so the thought on that second level would be, if people notice me blushing, they're going to judge me. Mm. And, and then finally, the third level is more of a core belief about yourself and uh, a classic one of those is I'm not enough as I am. I have Mm. to perform. Yeah, I have to be a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think people that talk... I've got a friend who you get her in a social situation and she's embarrassing because she doesn't stop talking about herself and, oh, my God, and and (laughs) big-upping herself and, you know talking about how much money she makes and how successful she and that's all nice but it's so extreme that and everything you know and it's just like do you think that's a form of social anxiety um is that a coping i think it can be i i I find it curious though that your anxiety is coming up probably Mm -hmm. what's it triggering you yeah yeah Mm. like and you True. know, like, and, and I think, and don't get me wrong, Danny, I've got a mate that does, used to do similar. He's toned it down recently. And I used to get, um, like, bored by it. I was like, oh, man, you can't talk like that. Like, mm. um, show some humility. And and, I, and, <laughs> and when I, ref, like, reflect back on it, it was my own social anxiety, like going, you, you've got to be a certain way in social situations. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you got to be humble you can't pick yourself up blah 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 but I, mm, I, that's so true ben it's it's owning our own reaction to things isn't it mm. yeah Oop, got me yeah but to Love answer it. your question i i yeah have a think like like I, I i tend to like i wonder what's driving someone's need to mm. explain how much money they earn 
and I wonder what's driving someone's need to to prove themselves yeah, in a social situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a strong probability that that's what's sitting underneath it, but it could mm. be other stuff too. Um, they might be a wanker. <laughs> No, sorry. No, you're funny. I love that. <laughs> Speaking my language. Yeah. Um, so, Ben, tell me if I, I want to present two scenarios to you. So what if you're you're going to a party, you've been invited to a party, and you get to the party and you don't want to drink, but you get there and you feel so anxious and you think, I've got to have a drink to get through this. What would you say? What would be some effective tools that person could use if they're really feeling that anxiousness okay cool let's break it down so there's a couple of different elements to it the first is going to a party the second is um, being at the party without alcohol and the third party is a desire to have a drink Mm -hmm. Um, so the first part if someone's going to to a social event of any kind and they're feeling nervous about it um usually what I tend to do is say to people a couple of, depending on the personality I'm working with, um, I'll either go, what is the absolute worst case scenario that can happen mm-hmm. at this party? Mm-hmm. And and I'll, I'll, I can go down the rabbit hole with a person, you know, like meaning, okay, all right, so you might make a mistake or, or you might fumble over your words and people, you know, what's going to happen for you then? And usually we go to the person's negative belief about themselves and, mm. um, and, I, and, and I'll flip it and go, all right, well, do you think that's true? Mm. And, and, um, and often, not always, but quite often people are able to go, well, it is true sometimes, but, and, I, and, I, and then I'll quite simply say, all right, what's an alternative way to think about yourself? So can I, can I jump in with an example? Go. So if the yep. person was in a session with you and, they, and you said, what's the worst thing or what's the judgment mm. and they were well everyone's judging me yeah, yeah. or I don't fit in how about that one yeah. I don't fit in with these people yeah and then yeah. we say do you know what's true yeah yeah and quite often people will have evidence they'll be like oh so and so looked at me this way or um I tried to talk to a bunch of guys and all they could do was talk about their work or their cars and it was really fucking dull and so so quite often when people do have evidence um but what I what I the work I tend to do with them is to s- explain the the blinkers that they're wearing, mm. the the impression that they have of social situations mm-hmm. is that they don't fit in, and yeah. and and then I and I explain to people and I go th- back through their history quite often, uh, how they've been looking for evidence to prove that they don't fit in mm. over time. And what that means is when you're looking for evidence to prove one thing, you're totally discounting all of the other evidence, you know. Right, yeah. And, um, so, and then what I tend to do is go, all right, well, I want you to spend the next week you know, this is if we were in treatment, so it's not mm. kind of fitting in with the scenario of on your way to a party, but spend the next week looking for evidence that you do fit in or mm. or even something a little bit more neutral. Look for evidence where people are not judging you and mm. that's more of a middle ground. And, um, and it's interesting because quite often I find clients will come back in and they'll be like, I ended up in EB Games and the guy – wanted to talk to me about whatever console and blah, 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 blah. Like, and, and, and so people will come back in quite excited because they've got new evidence that mm. shows that they can fit in. And, That's right, yeah. Or even the girl at the cafe who uh, gave me my coffee on my way to work ended up asking me a few things about my weekend and she was interested in me. And um, <clears throat> and it's, it's really kind of beautiful when mm. we can – take the blinkers off and start to look for evidence, you know, that's contrary to the negative beliefs we've been carrying around for so long and mm. the expectation that people are judging us. We, we kind of want to disprove it. And yeah. so in terms of going into a party, like um, so I can either go down a rabbit hole with someone and go to the worst case scenario um, or I don't always have to go there. I, I can quite simply stay at the top and say, all right, you're worried about it. What assets do you have? You know, you know mm. what? What are you pretty good at? Well, what do you like about yourself? Mm. And and some people are usually able to. If I go down that path, they're able to pick something out and go, "Oh, I can, 
I can do this and, uh, you know, like I can compliment someone and make them feel at ease. Uh, I can make a joke or I absolutely love art and end up uh, deep in conversation about certain types of art, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for example, or poetry or whatever. Um, So I kind of attack it from more of the strengths of the person so they can then start to go, well, hang on a minute. If I'm going to this party, I do have some some things that, that I can bring that, you know, will make me feel a bit more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, that really helps. And so for, I think having awareness too, the awareness of going, okay, well, what I'm feeling right now, like, like you said earlier, like tapping in with the body, what's happening in my body and what's that from and, okay, I'm feeling socially anxious. I'm feeling anxious. Yep, totally. I don't have to respond to it. Totally. I don't have to react to it. Sorry. Yep, yep. The, the awareness and b- mm. bodily. Mm. What are my thoughts? Go mm. through those three layers of thoughts. So like now, we've, like if we're en route to the party, mm. I've got this anxiety going. What are the thoughts running through my mind around the three three levels? Oh, okay, there they are. Mm. Um, what's the sensation in my body? Yep, there it is. It's the churning in my tummy, yep. whatever it might be. Yep. Um, and the behavior I want to act in is to go to the party and drink. Mm. You know, because that'll help. It has in the past for a short period. <laughs> mm. um, so moving through the like, what am I going to do? Being at a, to the second part of the problem, like what I'm without alcohol. What am I going to do? Like, mm. and usually I suggest to a drinker, um, get yourself something else to drink, and hold that in your hand. Like, like I for me for for years, I've 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 taken ginger beer to parties and. Um, or kombucha and um, or sparkling water, whatever. Like, but I I feel quite comfortable just standing there talking to people with a with a bottle of one of those three in my hand. It's yeah. like it's like a little shield almost. It's yeah, like yeah. For, for me, I'm the same. I have to have something in my hand and still yeah. do. But it's like my little shield, yeah, something yeah. I've got, and yeah, you know, and makes I'm, me feel comfortable. And I'm sure we'd be fine without it. Don't get me wrong, but what. Why go without it if we don't have to? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I do think it, it does alleviate some uh, discomfort and mm. and it, it is comforting on some level and yeah and 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 that's my advice and 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 also the other thing is if I'm if we're at parties and or, or social situations is take your time, mm. allow have some grace like. Um, because it's it's actually almost self soothing to go slow in a social mm. situation and you know you don't force yourself into a conversation you don't force anything and and when when you start doing that your whole nervous system drops and mm. it's yeah really lovely i think you said that the other night to the group like perhaps what it would be like to sit back and just just be and just observe and just kind of check in with yourself for a moment and that can just calm the farm enough to just okay i'm all right yeah Mm, i'm I'm safe and i'm here and i thought that was really lovely advice to just sit and just just be just observe for a moment yeah yeah just take a moment yeah Yeah. i think that's really nice and it's so simple you're so right the the way to to calm the anxiety is very simple it's just like checking in taking some breaths yeah becoming aware it's awareness isn't it it is awareness and it's those areas that you've you've we were talking about that you you mentioned before for some people it's quite crippling like it's Mm. uh, i I think people that um kind of struggle with panic uh it's it's really overwhelming the panic and and that requires i feel like a more kind of complex intervention but you know if we stick stick with the social anxiety concern then yeah it's 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 not complex you know like and Mm. and you can you can implement these little tools and and do it really effectively so yeah because i i feel and now especially in reflection and especially after the session we did the other night just you just realize like how much binge drinking is stemmed from this actual social anxiety that we have and fear of judgment fear of not being good enough or a fear of not living up to expectations which is all stuff we place on ourselves you know it's a fear that sits there that we kind of create for ourselves yeah we do and then i think the final part so so to the the problem which was the third part which was um Mm. i want to drink you know like i want to have a drink to to regulate my anxiety is um a lot of the tools that 
people would have already learnt from you, you know, mm. like around, okay, let's play the tape. Mm. All right? If I pick up a drink, what's it going to look like? Yeah. You know, like, and if I pick up a drink, sure, it might reduce my anxiety initially, but what's it going to look like in three hours' time or in 12 hours' time when I wake up and, and I'm running rough and um, feeling ordinary? And, mm. um, yeah, and, and I find that for most people really effective, like play the tape over and over. And so it, it becomes an automatic shield or protection against picking up mm-hmm. the, that first drink. So. Yeah. Because heaven knows, like it's abs, like a big part of addiction. It's just sitting there waiting and even sort of lower in the lower threshold of addiction. It's just sitting there waiting to pounce and and it'll it'll use social anxiety as a step, you know, a leg in to try and, uh, you know, get you back. Totally. Or just especially if you've not had a drink for a while too, Mm, mm. that that old chestnut of... Mm. I'll just have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many elements to it. Or, you know, the Lyndall said to someone recently because they were kind of catastrophizing and then wanting to, they were thinking, oh, if I'll just have a, you know, maybe I'll have a drink then to, that's what I'm going to have to do to calm this sort of, this big catastrophe that's happening that I'm just making up in my own head. And Lyndall said to them, you've got to watch that the alcoholic part of you is not catastrophizing so that you can have a drink, you know, watch whose voice is it that's talking. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's a really good point because I think at some point along that scenario, it goes from being this anxious part of you, mm. which I think is quite young in us. Mm. Um, there's there's theories out there like um, sort of psychodynamic not psychodynamic but there's theories out there where the part of us that's actually anxious is the inner child Mm. and it's and a lot about what Gabor talks about yeah Mm. and um and I like that idea like and it's looking for protection and uh and by having that awareness that you've referred to before just stepping through the the steps that we've discussed you can you can soothe the inner child it's like you know these these are different thoughts to have i'm going to sit with these uncomfortable feelings within my body and i'm and i'm not going to go and act in that behavior you know Mm -hmm. like unfortunately though for a lot of us we have this other part of us that that's just a bit more (laughs) self-destructive and and it'll step in when the inner child's feeling nervous and go all right i know how to fix this for you yeah. Let's go straight to the fridge. And so. that, I know, and that's I say this to my group. So we don't want wounded little three or four year olds running the show for us because they don't know what's best for us. I would not take advice from a mm. four year old child that was clearly upset. Mm, no. <laughs> I would take it from a stable adult and so yeah. yeah. Alcoholism is um an attempt to solve a problem and if we can kind of find another way of solving the problem by coming becoming aware and resourceful within ourselves Mm. yeah and i and i honestly think in the same the same vein like avoidance of Mm. anxiety is a way to solve a problem and it's just mal it's maladaptive and just like you said like there's there's other ways and quite simple ways to not need to use those maladaptive approaches so yeah yep and okay so one more scenario so now we'll have to wrap up soon what if you're at a party and you're becoming aware that you're sweating you're sweating through your shirt and you're sweating down the back of your legs and you think people can see it. And so you start to panic about that. And then you think, fuck, I'm not going to stop sweating now. They know. And then your heart starts racing. And now I'm gone into full blown panic attack. I might pass out in front of these people and they're all, you know, like, so we're into full on panic attack mode. What then? Okay. So usually if someone is highly dysregulated, Know, really heightened nervous system, yeah, heart palpitations, shaking, tingling, numbness. Um, I don't because they're so hyper aroused, their mind has gone offline. You know, so so what we we go like the, the there's this sort of old, very old theory uh, around going into fight or flight and our bodies uh, are wanting us to, to do something you know like to, to either escape the situation or somehow go into some form of fight mode with it but we're completely dysregulated so we can't use cognitive methods to regulate us when we're when we're when our bodies are so dysregulated 
Um, so when someone's in a panic state, there's there's very little kind of evidence and very little use in going to use some form of rationalization like it's okay i'm safe blah 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 like um right because we're so physically dysregulated and so i always suggest to someone just get yourself somewhere quiet and if that uh means leaving the room for the moment then that's okay Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what I try and get people to do is to co-regulate, like as in the, they take someone with them to just talk through mm. what's going on for them. Mm. Um, what's really, really vital is that the person with their awareness just starts naming what's going on. Oh, okay, I'm having these thoughts that I can't manage. I'm having these thoughts that people are going to judge me because I'm sweating. Um, I'm having these thoughts. I'm starting to notice you know like so what we're doing there is we're kind of just by naming everything that's going on for us i've got these feelings in my body as well you want to want to throw that in there and we're we're getting some separation from them you know we're Mm -hmm. not quite so wed to them we're not quite so attached to them and so and usually this can happen with in conversation with the person that you've got with you you know if you're doing it if you, you can't do that you can't grab someone just do it on your own so um but absolutely getting out um out of the room is is, the room. is pretty important or yeah. at least getting over to a section of the room which is probably better um that is just a bit quieter and a bit different a bit cooler a bit calmer and so the, your, someone's nervous system can come back down. Um, it's, so it's really all it is is that your nervous system is gone into overdrive and it's wanting to run away from the scary lion, which yeah. isn't actually there, but yeah, it's yeah, what yeah. your body's sensing. Yeah. What I know for me, when I used to have panic attacks, I would my heart would race. So that was the first, that's was just coming out of nowhere. My heart's racing. I feel weird, and then I would get into my head. I was going to have a heart attack. Like, I'm going to die. I'm actually going to die right now. I'm going to have a heart attack. Or, yeah. um, And so what if you're into that state where you're like, I'm going to have a heart attack. You better call the ambulance because I'm having a heart attack right now. You know, that thing. Yeah. You know. Look, I think it depends. For me, it depends on how much your body is wanting to shut, is, is, is out of, is dysregulated. Like, is, mm. um, so if you're saying to me, look, I, I can't stand up. I think I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm, you know, that's a meaning your body's not able to kind of hold you up. I'm, I'm usually just going to get someone to somewhere to safety, um, somewhere mm. that's quiet and restful. However, if, if your body is holding up and you're saying I'm going to have a heart attack, um, I'll probably ask a few questions. Have you got heart concerns? You know, like I, I understand that yep, you're feeling this and you've got massive heart palpitations. Have, have you had concerns before? Have you taken any drugs? Like just throw out a few questions and um, and just to help someone kind of go, oh, no, I don't think so. Or the, the, they, they may be like, oh, yeah, I, I've had heart problems before. And Well, but, what if it's in your own head though? So you don't have someone there to throw the questions at you, but you sort of, because I know I'm just going on experience. So, you know, you start to, the panic's happening and you're feeling like you're going to have a heart attack, even mm. though you sort of know you're not because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Well, that's where. Um, things the, you can say to yourself. Doing do. the work on your original thoughts is vital. So yeah, like right. writing down what it is, the types of thoughts that you are, that you have, write mm. them down and attribute them to your anxiety. Okay. That's the anxious part of me that has those thoughts. Mm. All right. So when you are in on your own and in your own, some form of p- panic, you can actually get a little bit of separation from them um, and just go, okay, I'm having the thought that I'm going to have a heart attack. Mm. You know, like, and it's kind of a mixture of, of CBT and an act um, where we, we want to articulate what's going on specifically in our, in our thoughts, mm. but we also want to kind of step diffuse from them, the thoughts a bit like, and, and when, as soon as we say, oh, look, I, I notice I'm having the thought that I'm having a heart attack. We're, we're zooming out a little bit. We're stepping away or getting some distance from the thought and, Cause it's just horrible. Like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm so grateful. I haven't had one for years really since I stopped drinking, but it's so consuming and you really do feel like I'm either going to die or yeah. I'm not going to wake up or I'm going, 
crazy. Yeah, yeah. And um, it is. Yeah, it, it's it's, it's really overwhelming, and you think it's going to happen. Like I, I have this um, concern or, or sort of this slight panic. Um, years ago, when I was in addiction, I, I'd been up for days, and I ended up uh, at a train station in London, and 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 to try and come down a bit, I went to the bar and ordered a pint of something and I picked the pine up and ended up dropping it Mm. and the whole bar turned around and looked at me and you know and I'd been up I was a mess and um and it's interesting uh, I dropped it because I just started getting the shakes and I looked you know like I was watching the pint shake back and forth and my whole body just went into a panic Mm. and and you know like I haven't touched anything for nearly 10 years and I still pick up a glass of water now, and my arm starts to shake, and True. the panic com- comes in, comes up, and I and I think I'm going to drop this, and everyone's going to look at me, and um, wow. and and I the, and that's why the reason why I'm telling you that is I've got an absolute belief in that moment that I'm going to drop it, and I can't control it, and it's that's the key thing is that I'm saying to myself I can't control this, and. Mm. The reason why I don't drop it and the reason why I can manage it these days is that I've gone down and gone out and written out what, what my thoughts are around it. Um, I've actually written out what the more realistic thoughts I can come up with when I'm in the middle of a bit of a panic um, around dropping something. And and I remind myself, no, I'm like pretty healthy 46-year-old. I, I, can, I can hold on to a glass of water. <laughs> You know, like, and, and yeah. we laugh, but it's true, you right. know, like you, it's, it's pretty important to do that groundwork where you, you like, oh, all right, what am I going to do in this situation? And, and just sort of almost preparing yourself. But. So, yeah, I get it. So having done the groundwork previously, if you've written down your thoughts and beliefs around it, that's really powerful. And that's really, that's a great strategy. Yeah. It's a great tool so that when you are in this situation, you can you're, kind you're, of remember. You're armed already. Yeah. yeah, yeah you've got yeah. it there you, in you. You know what to go arsenal. to and even, even practice it. beforehand part of exposure therapy is ultimately practicing your groundwork Mm -hmm. um but look i say all this and it's pretty important you have someone help you go through this stuff i just probably need to clarify that like um right yeah but it's yeah not just listening to this podcast if you're having full-blown anxiety definitely yeah panic disorder is really crippling and um, professionals yeah definitely are the ones to help with it but I, i think what's cool is you can prevent probably arrest the progression of an anxiety problem just by going through what we've discussed today you know like you can really help yourself by applying what we've talked about i think it's great and it's a great start Mm. you know perhaps if if it's something that's bothering you or something that's presents for you i know one thing that i learned to do early on was to um, extend my exhale so breathing and breathing long and slow into my belly and and it's something that I could do in the situation. And that really helped me to then calm my nervous system enough to then be able to start telling myself I was safe and I was yeah. fine and yeah. perhaps strike a conversation with someone so that I could co-regulate. I used yeah. to always call my friend Michael when I have a panic attack back in the day. He just had a calm voice. He was always up late and I could just call him. And I didn't actually, sometimes I'd say I'm having a panic attack. Just can we just chat? We just chat about anything, the weather, yeah, um, and that was always helpful. So once I'd sort of calmed the farm a bit, yeah, you know, it was, it, yeah, it's it's really tricky. important. I'm glad you brought that up. It's with our nervous systems, like there's a, there's evidence that shows that breath work absolutely brings the hyper arousal down. You know, yeah. there's plenty of evidence that supports it, and yeah, breath work's great. You know, yeah. like a, you know, and find find a, a routine that works for you because everyone has their different kind of preferences and mm-hmm. um but yeah it's really effective yeah absolutely it's important to know that our nervous systems are meant to feel ang- some anxiety i think people that end up not not all but sorry i think a lot of people that end up relying on alcohol have a what you might class as a slightly anxious disposition um so their nervous system is wired towards anxiety and um and that's okay. That's totally okay. And um, and I but I but I think it's it's absolutely vital that that you start to 
do the groundwork around, okay, am I just looking for people to judge me? Like, am I scanning my environment, like trying Mm. to find affirmation in these beliefs? And as soon as you pull yourself up from that and you start to go, oh, these are the the beliefs and thoughts I'm having that, uh, you know, and this is the the feeling in my body and this is the behavior I go into. You're really making quite large inroads into into helping yourself and managing the anxiety. So, um, wow, that's a great point, Ben. Yeah. To uh, am I kind of looking for that? And Eckhart Tolle calls it your pain body. Mm-hmm. Some people are addicted to feeding their pain body. That's a huge step to start to start realizing that and asking those questions that you just pointed out. It's really, yeah. really great. That's a great point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, but no, <laughs> that, I think that's you know like that we've covered most of it, and I think by all means we can we can always go over go over it again. Yeah, I think it's extend it. Yeah, really great. And I really appreciate you sharing with the group the other night. I thought it was really, everyone felt very, I guess, connected too, because when we were sort of saying, has anyone ever experienced this or that, you know, everyone in, in the end had raised their hand. So everyone had had some form of social anxiety, which I found really interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they're all problem, you know, or have been problem drinkers in the past. And yeah. So it was good to have that connection yeah and part of probably the final bit to add is part of the reason why we've focused on social anxiety is it has the greatest correlation with alcohol use like high levels of alcohol use whereas generalized anxiety for example isn't isn't quite as highly correlated um doesn't mean to say the two don't go together and obviously panic panic attacks come as well but the the reason why we've narrowed in on social anxiety is it's so common with with alcohol misuse so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah amazing thank you can i just ask another question pertaining to your own recovery what's one of the greatest gifts you, that came out of your sobriety and your recovery oh wow um big question i i th- there's multiple um for me um finding psychology is, is probably the greatest one because I always wanted to, to do something that I was passionate about and that I loved and I found that through getting sober. Because um, you were in the corporate world before. Yeah, and yeah. Um, but I but I think it's like if if we if we, I was to frame the answer in relation to what we've been chatting about, um, you know, like I I've spent ten years attending groups to help me stay sober and clean and um um, they've been absolutely painstaking at times to go into those groups and attend them you know it's Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and and I found it really difficult and what I've found over the years is that the people in those groups have shown me that I can be loved I am lovable and Mm. I'm I am worthy you know like and They've shown me, they've disproved or helped help me understand that all of those negative thoughts I had about myself in social situations just aren't true, you know. Like, mm. that's amazing, you know. Like, I, when when we logged onto the group the other night and it was really refreshing and, and to see everyone pipe up and talk and, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's imperative that everyone just speaks up and has their say and... Um, and then also it's imperative that people be quiet at times too, you know, like those that that are okay with talking lots. Um, mm. But it's, yeah, I think I think learning how to be in the social world and, and, and learning how to be with my anxiety and, and, and not conquer it as such, but just understand that it's a part of me, yeah, that's been a huge gift. Oh, well, that's, that's a real um, aha moment then too. You don't have to conquer it, but to be okay with it mm. and to... Yeah, that's so true. We don't need to conquer anything. We just need to give it some space and some compassion and awareness. Yeah, yeah. And mm. treat it with what it needs treating, you know, like so. But yeah. And that's what makes the the whole journey, and even if you've come from the worst, the worst of it, or if you're in the worst of it, knowing that there can be gifts, and there usually always is, gifts on the other side of it you know yeah. it makes the suffering worth it or everything you went through worth it yeah look i you're right it's so true i said to a mate a little while ago who's been through a pretty big tragedy and and i was like oh gee i wish i found psychology earlier and he was like no way like if you hadn't have been through what you've been through 
you wouldn't be as good well you know you wouldn't be as insightful as what you're providing to people now and um then i was i was like oh yeah you're right actually yeah that's that's true yeah Yeah, that's absolutely 100 percent true Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you are a gift to this i mean what you've brought to the podcast and all the feedback i get from all the the what you've shared on this has been really like quite life-changing for some people and just the fact that you're and to show up the other night for my group and yeah yeah, you are very valued (laughs) thanks danny that's yeah it's nice to hear i um yeah i'm just passing on what i've learned Mm, so mm -hmm. yeah and that's the great thing about this journey isn't it if we can share what we've learned and what we're learning um with some humility and just to just show up for people i think that's yeah, yeah. again makes it all worth it yeah yeah ben schiller once again thank you very much for coming on and just sharing and continuing to um show up thank you for having me i loved it again (laughs) thanks ben (laughs) see ya If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.